As we get started this morning, I, I want to kind of continue with what we talked about last week. We talked about counting the cost and paying the cost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I think in the world we live in today, it can be easy to get sidelined. I think it can be easy to sit on the bench and not really pay the cost of what it really means to follow Jesus. And as we do that, there was a verse that came to my heart this week that I was reminded of that we've all heard a million times, but how many of you know hearing it and doing it are two totally different things? How many of you know that, that knowing that you're supposed to do something and actually having the strength to do it that's where the rubber kind of meets the road and life can throw its curveballs from time to time. I want to read this verse to you. You've heard it before. Jesus said it himself. It came out of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. It says, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him, listen to this part, with all of your heart and with all of your soul. He will give you the rain for the land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. You probably remember this verse from when the disciples are talking to Jesus, and Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You know that part. But when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 11 and you keep reading, there is a phrase in there that means everything. He will give you the rain. Sometimes I think that I forget the reality that when I love God and I follow him, when I am a follower of the way of Jesus, there is a rain that comes in return. I want to be very careful. It's hard sometimes as a preacher because you spend so much time praying and studying and getting behind of it, and you have so little time to share what it actually is and what it means, and, and you never want to be misinterpreted for what you're really saying. So I, I want to give a disclaimer this morning. And the idea is this. What I'm proposing to you today is not a formula. It's not A plus B equals C. All right? Uh, how do I know that? Because formulas don't work when it comes to relationships. Formulas don't work for relationships. How do I know? You made your wife mad? Flowers and chocolate may work sometimes, but they don't work all the time. Right? Because what happens in the exchange isn't about A plus B. It's about the position of your heart. Here, honey, you've been terrible to me. I'm going to give you some flowers. It's not going to solve the issues that you have. But coming humbly asking for forgiveness. The posture or the position of your heart changes everything. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is don't walk out of here and say, that pastor who came, that bald dude who lost all of his hair because he did youth ministry too long, he came to our church and he told me, he didn't know what he was talking about. He told me that if I read my Bible, everything would change. He told me that if I do this, then this would happen. And I did that and it didn't. I want you to know this morning that as you come, what I'm encouraging is a heart posture. That when you put this in your life and play it out over the long haul, you will begin to see fruit you didn't think you could see in your life. Things will begin to shift and change inside of your life. And you would look back one day and say, I remember how God changed my heart. And when my heart softened, everything else fell in order. In seminary and theological studies, they call this the law of priority. The law of priority is this. If you do this, everything else will follow. Everything else 
will follow. When Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's saying not that nothing else matters. He's saying that if you get this right, if you take this whole thing and narrow it down, any of y'all read the cliff notes in school? Any of y'all didn't read the book, said you read the book? If you were to get one thing from all of these pages of Scripture, he's saying, if you can love the Lord your God, listen to this, with all that you have, then it will change everything. But I got a problem with my finances. Love God. But my kids, they're falling apart. I, I don't know how to parent. I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to solve this love God. My marriage is on the rocks. I'm not sure how to fix it. Love God. My job, I'm not really sure which way I should go or what job to take. Love God. I'm not making light of the problems or the issues that you're facing in your life. I'm simply saying that the law of priority applies here. Jesus says when you love him with everything that you have, when you're all in, Deuteronomy 11, he will send the rain. When I was young, I took up golf for a short season of my life, and my dad put me in lessons. And to prove to you that it's not about a formula, I could give you a golf club right now and say, here's a little white ball, go hit it with this golf club. A plus B should equal Tiger Woods. <laughs> it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that's not how it works. But I'll never forget because one day I was standing at the tee box and my instructor said, I want you to not move. And he began to position all the parts of my arms and my club and my back and my shoulders all into the right position. And I'll never forget because I, I stood there until he was done. And he said, wait, 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 swing. That was the best golf ball I've ever hit in my entire life. Never hit it that good again. And I paid for that one. Actually, my dad paid for that one. Um, the point is this. It was about the position and the posture. When I encourage you this morning, I, my hope is to encourage you. My hope is to encourage some of you who feel like you're in a dry season of your life, that the right position is what has the power to bring the rain in to refresh you. That for some of you in your life right now, you're not sure which way to go, what your life should look like, how you should make decisions, what your business needs to do in the next year, what your family needs to look like, how you need to lead well in your life. And the Lord is saying, come back to the posture. Come back to the position and you'll begin to see the rain in your life. Two, two things about that verse. The first one is this. He says, be all in. He doesn't say love God. He says love God with everything that you have. So the position and posture of our heart that's going to bring the reign of God in our life starts with this mentality of being all in. So I have two titles to today's message because I couldn't make up my mind. The first one is this, let it rain. The second one is this, all in. If it's going to rain in my life, then I have to be all in. If I'm all in, then it's going to rain in my life. They go hand in hand. You can't separate them. 
I don't know if you like the rain or not. Um, it's been raining a lot. I live in Magnolia. It's like kind of out there and, and like the lightning and it's like kind of country out there. Some of y'all live out here. Uh, I got my speeding ticket in the middle of the country today. I had no idea where I was. Those small town cops, man. Um, but the rain. I, I was with my daughter. Your grandparents, your grandparents have that house that you can't touch anything in. You know, the carpet is white. Like, why? Why would you ever do that? Um, the antiques weigh 5,000 pounds. And I'll never forget because we were going to clean out my wife's uh, grandparents' house a couple years ago. And as we go to her house, um, we had our toddlers with us. And it's never a good idea. You're like, I love you, Grandma, but we can't come to your house. Um, the little china dolls and the white carpet and the and we're going to uh, clean out the house, and we're going, and as we're going, we're getting a piece of furniture. And I'll never forget, I was carrying this really heavy piece of furniture, me and my wife, just hoping our kids are not, like, destroying something. And as we're doing it, my daughter said, I have to go potty. And she was potty training at the time, and so, you know, this little song came to my head, if you have to go potty, stop and go right away. I don't know why I did that. We were training her. So we dropped the furniture. We ran to the restroom, and I'll never forget. I'm getting her all ready. I get down on my knees, and I get her up. She's getting ready to go. Come on, honey. You got this. You can do this. She kept asking me this question. Daddy, what's this button? I don't know, honey. Just leave it alone. Daddy, what's this button? I don't know, honey. Just leave it alone. Daddy, I touched the button. (laughs) About that moment in time, there's this thing we don't often know about in America called a bidet. And in that moment, a stream, fire hydrant of water comes flying out of the toilet straight into my face. And for the life of me, I can't shut my mouth. And it is flowing in my my wife's grandparents' house. I'll never forget at the end of it, my daughter looks at me with the innocence and cuteness of a three-year-old. I'm ready to spank. And she says, Daddy, it rained in here. That's right, honey, it did. Sometimes in life, there's some unexpected rain. You know, rain can go on either side of the equation. There are times in our life we feel like it's raining, but really it's a storm and it's a mess. It's not the kind of rain I'm talking about today. I want to be really clear because this is kind of a biblical term and a biblical analogy here. As we talk about the rain, I want you to know we're talking about the goodness of God in your life. When we talk about the rain, we're talking about the blessing and the favor and the grace and the provision of God that comes on your life. What what I'm saying is we know that by grace we're saved. And so we know we need grace at the moment of salvation. But the question is, as we follow Jesus, as we're all in with our faith, do we realize that we still need the grace and the favor and the provision of God breathing on everything that we do? When we talk about the reign of God this morning, we're talking about his goodness coming to you in your life as you've postured your heart to follow him. And to illustrate this this morning, I want to share the story with you of a group of people in the Bible. We know them as the Israelites, the Hebrew people, the God's chosen people. And if you remember with me, back to Exodus, they've been in slavery. Their life was miserable. And all they could pray for was for God to deliver them out of where they were. 
And when God delivered them out, they get to the other side and, and they can remember the promises of God in their life for a promised land. And if you remember with me the story, you'll remember that they're standing on the edge, ready to go in. And they send a group of spies into the land. And 12 spies go into the land and 10 of them come back and say, there are some very big giants in that land. And then there are two people who I believe have the same thing I'm talking about today. They have this all-in-ness to their faith. Is that even a word? I don't care. I'm a preacher. I can make it up. They have this devotion about them that even when everyone else sees something different, they have this inner strength to see the goodness and the reign of God coming their way. And I want to read this story to you. It's a little long. Go old school here and actually read the Bible at church. Here's what it says. In verse 24 of Numbers chapter 14, I want you to know this about them. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land in which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Here's, here's what I love about Caleb. It says that his spirit, there's something different about him. And listen to the words. It says that Caleb followed the Lord fully. What's the differentiating factor about Caleb? What separates him out from the other spies? He was fully devoted to following God. There's something that happens inside of your spirit when you do that. Here's the story. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1 through 9. All the congregation, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they cried out, they raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against the Lord, against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have just died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones, they're going to become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, I know you're judging them right now, but I've been in this situation. God, I want this. God, I need this. God, this should happen. God, when, when? God, can I go back? And we read their story and we think how crazy of them. But on the other side of the coin, we realize maybe we've been in some of the same situations in our life. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly, the congregation of the people. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Mr. J, yeah, you try and read that, who were going along, those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of Israel, of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone Joshua and Caleb with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting of all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I love this story. I love this story because there are parts of me that can relate to both sides of this equation. And as I read it, I'm encouraged to be like Joshua and Caleb, 
to have a different spirit about me, to have a posture or a position of my heart that says, God, I'm so fully devoted to following you that even when everyone else turns away, I want to go with you. Even when everybody else wants to go back, I want to be the guy at the end of the day that stands there and says, Lord, I'm going with you. Lord, I'm trusting your voice. I think there are some things that got in the way of some of the spies, some things that keep us from being all in, and I want to share those with you today. And the first one that keeps people from being all in, I believe, is this. All in people let go of their plan B. People who are all in let go of plan B. I think somewhere in the spy's heart was this idea that they had not let go of. The idea that maybe if they just go back, things will get okay. Maybe if they just go back, they don't have to live with all the uncertainty of how things are going to turn out on the other end of the wilderness. And I, I want to propose to you this morning that failing to let go of plan B in our lives keeps an open door. And that open door is the very thing that delays the provision and the goodness and the reign of God in our life. I say this in this way. Uh, when I went to college, I knew I was going into ministry. And I don't know why, but people like to tell preachers like they're supposed to be poor with their life. you know. Like, so what they'll do is they'll say something like this. I, I would say, I'm going to go into the ministry. And people would look at you with all seriousness and they'd say, how are you going to feed your family? I'm going to go into ministry. Well, uh, what are you going to do? Like, like I had just like issued a death sentence. And, and I'll never forget because I used to feel like I had to please them. And so I would say something to this effect. I would say, well, you know, like, but I'm going into ministry, but I got a plan B, right? Like, uh, I, I'm getting a minor in business. And they'd be like, oh, you'll be good. You'll be good. And one day I said that, and I sensed again the Lord stopped me right there and say, do you actually believe that? I said, I said, well, I got a minor in business, so if I need it, and the Lord stopped me in my tracks and said, do you actually believe you're going to need that? And what I realized was that I had subtly allowed a plan B in my heart. And the Lord wanted to get that out of me in college. Because if I had left that door open, I've watched people do it, I could be in a different place today. When I think about it, I, I like to be really practical, and, and you may not like this, but I'm just going to be real simple with you here. Um, you know, it would be like your spouse walking into the room and saying, who are you texting? And you're like, oh, you know, I'm just texting my ex. <laughs> and they'd be like, uh, Why? And if, if you looked at your spouse and said, oh, you know, just in case this thing doesn't work out, I, I want to be prepared. <laughs> go, go talk to Luke. He's the real pastor, all right? <laughs> Don't come to me after service. It's ludicrous. If it doesn't work in a relationship here on earth, how much more does it not work in, listen, not a formula, a relationship with our Heavenly Father? When we have a plan B, it gives us a way of escape. And so long as we have a way of escape, we're not all in. I, 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 one of the pieces that makes this hard, I believe, is because the Israelites, they had a plan B, 
because they forgot what God had done in their life. Plan Bs, they are, they're birthed out of this idea that I've forgotten what God has done already. Or, or maybe let me put it another way. They grow in our hearts only when we forget what God has done. When I, when I think about that in my life, um, I remember my wife, uh, when my son was probably six or eight months old, I'm holding him right here, just changed a nasty, dirty diaper, still not sleeping through the night. And my sweet little wife, she just looks at me and she says, honey, I want a baby. And I'm holding my six, eight-month-old, and I hold him out, and I say, what is this? And she, looking at my son, says, no, I want a baby baby. And everything inside of me is thinking in that moment, I'm a dude, I don't get it, okay? I, I got that. But I'm thinking right there in that moment, do you not remember what it's like to not sleep through the night? Do you not remember, you know, all the doctor's visits and the bills that I'm still paying for this baby, baby? I, I, I just had one question as a dude. Honey, do you not remember? Do you not remember? And one of the things I'm, I'm just thinking is, like, sometimes in our life we do the same thing. It's right in front of us. And yet we can't remember what it is that he did. Here's why this is important. Because if the Israelites had remembered what God had done, they would know what God could do. If they had remembered that God just delivered them out of the oppressive slavery they had spent over 400 years in, they would think, a couple of giants, no big deal. Remembering what God has done, it, it should stir something inside of us. I want, I want to paint it to you like this. When we remember what God has done, it positions us to worship. When we worship, it builds our faith. You ever walked out of here on a Sunday morning, you came in low, your tank was low, you walked out, you're like, man, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to get Satan with a water pistol. Like, I'm I'm ready. There's something that happens in that worship encounter experience. Your faith grows and you're able to declare it in a new way. I remember what God has done. It leads me to worship. And when I worship, it builds my faith declaration over my life. Uh, let me give it simple. Who likes it simple? Me too. Let's go. There's an old song you know. I'm not going to sing it, all right? I'm a pastor, not a singer. Amazing Grace. Last time I tried to sing it on a stage, I actually forgot some of the words, and that was super embarrassing. Who forgets the words to Amazing Grace, right? Listen to the words. He's remembering when he writes the words, I once was lost, but now I'm. He remembers. And it leads him to a place of worship. Amazing grace, how sweet the. But what about the faith declaration? I remember that I was lost. And now I'm worshiping because God saved me. But then the faith declaration comes in when he begins to say, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe this far. And what? Grace will lead me home. What's he doing? He remembers what God has done. He's worshiping God for who he is. And because of that, there is a faith welling inside of his heart that it doesn't matter the storm that's facing me today. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around me. 
It doesn't matter how bad the news looks. It doesn't matter what's going on in my job. I mean, God cares about all those things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through. All I'm saying is if you want a faith declaration to rise up inside of you, it doesn't start with getting the answers you think you need. It starts with remembering what he has already done. How does that work? God, I remember that you saved me. God, I remember the time you delivered me out of that situation. God, I remember the time you brought me out of the sin that I had caught me up for so many years and it was finally gone because of what you had done for me. And you begin to remember those things. You remember what God has done and it changes. It postures and positions you to receive what God can do. (laughs) You just did it last week. You don't even know it. You watch what God is doing He's miraculously healing your pastor's child. God, I remember what you did for my pastor's son. If you'll do it for him, you can do it for my kid. And when you begin to remember what he's done, oh, and maybe, maybe for you this morning you forgot what God has done, or maybe you think you don't have anything that God has done for you because you're not really sure yet. Can I just tell you that thousands of years ago he climbed up on a cross and died for your life. You have something to remember today. And when you remember it, it helps you be all in. I, uh, I don't know if I have time, but Psalm 77, I don't even, they didn't even tell me what time it's over, so y'all in trouble. <laughs> Last week I got like towards the end, and I was like, yeah, what time is it? Uh, Psalm chapter 74 says this, 77, I'm sorry. It says, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your wonders of old. I'll ponder all of your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known the might among your peoples. Just start remembering what he's done. It'll help you be all in. The second thing is this. They refuse to let God's word be the final word. The spies that didn't go into the land, the problem that they had was they were not allowing God's word and what he had said be the final word over their life. I texted an old boss of mine. Uh, She had adopted three kids from Africa. And uh, one night I just had a dream, and I don't dream often because I like to sleep, you know. Um, But when I do dream, I know the Lord is kind of just urging and nudging me. And I woke up that morning, I turned to Isaiah, and it's you know, your youth shall renew their strength. And so I picked up and wrote a big old long sappy preacher text to my old boss and said, your kids are on my heart this morning. I'm praying for them. I believe they're going to have strength about them. And I'll never forget because I sent this big long text message and I get a text message back that says, that's nice, but who is this? I forgot to tell her that I changed my number. And so I'll never forget that moment because what matters is the context that's provided by the who of the message. The challenge when we hear voices in our life is we forget that what really matters is who's saying it. If if you're the Israelites in this moment, the Lord has already spoken it. And when God speaks something, the very word that he speaks has the power to fulfill itself. In other words, it's not if it will happen because he said, it's no, he spoke it, it will happen. And so when he tells the people of Israel, you're going into the promised land, by golly, they're going into the promised land. The issue isn't with the word of God spoken over their situation. The issue is with the fact that they're choosing to listen to other voices. And what I want to encourage you with this morning on this matter is this. 
are you listening to the right voices in your life? Because the wrong voices will keep you from being all in. I got to remember what God has done, but I also got to keep listening to the right voice, right? Negative voices. I don't know why we choose to listen to the voices that are negative. Um, our, our, our filter should be who spoke it, and that will determine the weight of the words. Who speaks it determines the weight of the words. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if all men have this confidence, but I think a lot of men have this confidence. And it's so funny that our wiring is kind of this way. But, you know, you know, ladies can go to the mirror and, honey, do I look good? Is this how, I don't know. And, yes, honey, you're gorgeous. You're the most smoking beautiful woman on the planet. Two minutes later, she comes out in a different outfit, right? Not me, though. Not, not a lot of guys. I don't know what it is about guys. I stand in front of the mirror and like, man, my bald head looks good today. Like, like there's just this unmerited confidence about it. But something that happens along the way is sometimes we start listening to the wrong negative voices. Or the voices that we're listening to inside of our own mind aren't telling us the truth. And the challenge with this is it keeps us from being all in we got to stop listening to the voices that are limiting us, that are saying, you can't, God won't, it will never, they're too big. And the spies that didn't go into the land and come back with a good report are the ones who became the negative voices that stirred up fear in the people of God. And the negative voices that stir up fear have a tendency to push you back in the way of your purpose. But when we listen to God's voice, it stirs up the opposite of fear. It stirs faith for the sole purpose of pushing you forward. If you're going to be all in, you've got to start listening to the right voices. Number three, all in people believe that God can be good to them. That sounds simple, but it's not. All in people believe that God can be good to them no matter how bad what's standing in front of them seems to be. If you recall in the story, Joshua and Caleb came back and they said these words that I think reflect not a formula, but a position of their heart. They said, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. It was birthed out of a relationship with a God Hinging upon a phrase, if he delights in us, he will be good to us. And I often think that maybe sometimes the reason we can't be all in is because we're believing the wrong things about the God that we serve. And I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning with Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, what the enemy meant for evil, God has a habit of turning around for good. When we believe that God has good things, when we believe that God can send the rain in our life, it changes everything. When I remember what God has done and I choose to push back the voices that would speak anything against what God is saying into my life. And I remember that he's good. Things in my life begin to turn around. And I want to leave this morning with this notion or this idea that maybe you came here today and you weren't sure if you were all in. 
Maybe you weren't sure if you could even be all in. Maybe there's some stuff going on in the world around you that every day you wake up with the reality of the negative voices that are shouting inside of your head. And you're wondering this simple question today. Is it even possible for someone like me to be all in? You maybe see the provision and reign of God on your pastor's life healing his son, but you're not so sure that it would apply to you. And if that's you this morning, I believe the Lord brought you here on purpose for the simple truth of knowing that there is a God who loves you. And even if you don't understand all couple thousand pages of this, you can understand this, that when you love God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, it's the law of priority. The rain has to come. I wanna share a quick story with you as we close out. I can't remember if I shared this with you before, but my wife is one of the sweetest people you'll meet. She loves people. She knows no stranger. She could start a conversation with that wall, and it would, like, it would be a good one. She loves people. You look at her life today, she loves the Lord, and she follows the Lord. But when you get to know her, what you'll find that, like every person, there's always a story behind the person. And when my wife was nine years old, she went to a church camp where she gave her life to the Lord. And she surrendered her life to the Lord. It was as clear as, just clear as all get out. That God was helping her and saving her. She knew that she was saved. And when she got off the bus coming home from camp, she got in the car and went home to a different home. While she was at camp, her parents split and they moved houses and she went to a new home. The goodness of God coming into her life and the reality of the world hitting her in the face. Not shortly, not too far after that, she began to experience some things. Her dad got a girlfriend. Life began to shift and change, and things turned around uh, in different ways in her life, and life got hard. And how many of you know that sometimes when you feel like you're making steps and strides forward, that there are things that are trying to push you back? And at the age of nine or ten years old, uh, my, wife, uh, my wife was with her dad one day, and he got mad. And when he got mad, he stormed out of the house. And when he stormed out of the house, to a ten-year-old little girl, he said the words, you'll never see me again. And when my wife was ten years old, her dad took his life. And I would love to tell you, that things just got easy overnight. I would love to tell you that it wasn't hard at times, but that wouldn't be the truth. The truth is that it was, and that she experienced some things that nobody should ever have to experience. And the reality is this, you came here today and I don't know your story, I don't, I don't even know your, all your names yet, but I know this, when I look at my wife's life today, I think she could be a million miles in the other direction and have every excuse or every reason to be there. But she's not. And when I look at her life and I see the things that have happened to her, 
And I start to wonder the questions of, but God, where were you then? And how did this happen? And how could this happen? And I have all these questions to be answered. I'm totally overcome by the reality that amidst all of that going on in her life, she made a decision as a child to love God with all of her heart and all of her soul and all of her strength. And because she stayed the course and didn't quit loving him, I'm telling you, she's seeing the reins of God in her life. She's in ministry. She loves God. She has a beautiful husband. She has a really good looking wife. Sorry, I said that backwards. (laughs) And I look at her life and I think, look what God has done. Look what God has done. And if he did that for her, he can do it for you.